All right, open up your Bibles, Luke chapter 9. We're in this conversation that I started last week about God's vision for unity and oneness. We started last week looking at the life of David and Jesus and Paul. I thought, you know, in the midst of an uprising of cultural dialogue about it's time to come together, it's time to work together and, and be one and unity and all those things, important rhetoric happening in our culture, I thought, what does God's Word have to say about what does it mean for His people to come together and work together and experience a oneness that surpasses equality and a oneness that evidences God's reconciling heart. And there's a New Testament metaphor, the strongest metaphor for God's vision of oneness is in 1 Corinthians 12. And if you haven't already pulled out your notes, you can scan the QR code in the chair in front of you here online. They can get you the notes that way. But I put a verse at 1 Corinthians 12 because this is a key chapter when you want to get like a metaphor for God's heart for oneness. Here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So here's what the Apostle Paul says. When you want to understand God's heart for oneness, think about the human body. And look how interconnected and interdependent our physical parts are, all working together. Hand, foot, leg, arm, all all these parts certainly have diversity, but there's unity in the midst of diversity. That's God's heart for oneness. Unity in the midst of diversity. He says, think of it like a physical body. And then he said, and I think a great application from where we left off last week, is this verse in 1 Corinthians 12.1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So one practical application from taking steps forward in God's heart for oneness is to become more informed about spiritual gifts. Because God has put the parts of the body together in a way where we're all interconnected and interdependent. We're all not the hand. We're all not the foot. We're, we're all different pieces, and the way He's distributed and dispersed and empowered His people is through spiritual gifts. And so, what we did is we wanted to put together a three-week discipleship class on Wednesday nights in December. Julia Davis is going to be leading it, so thanks to Julia and all our efforts to put this together. When she knew I was going to be having conversations about this, we just talked about how it'd be helpful to have something really practical to offer people to, maybe you've never had any deep dive into what spiritual gifts are and what spiritual gifts God may have given you, or maybe you have had that, but it's been a while since you've really refreshed and thought through it, this is a for you. It's going to be all online, all Zoom. You can do it from your living room, 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. Sign up on the website. Give three Wednesday nights to this because I think it's going to be really important in the time and age in which we're living for the body of Christ to be deployed and to be working in line with the gifts He's entrusted. I think it's going to be really really critical. So I want to encourage you to engage in that. And then where we left off last week, I want to pick up today in the conversation that says, if we're going to be interconnected, if we're going to be interdependent, if we're going to experience unity in the midst of diversity, hear this now, we need to have a conversation about what do we do with the relationships, the people, the situations, the circumstances in our lives that are just Candidly, some people around us are really difficult to be around. 
And some people just simply have such different views about really important matters that we struggle knowing how to be one with someone who just sees things so differently or just views things just on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like, how do I genuinely draw near and have oneness in the midst of what is so obviously diverse? Or to say it even more maybe accurately for today's day and age, in the midst of our current culture that's so polarized and politicized in the midst of the rhetoric that's going on, how do we move away from this propensity to despise others and to move to the place where we can embrace God's heart for loving others, to move from despising to loving? So that's going to be the conversation today, and I framed it up under the title, From Thunder to Love. We're going to follow a couple of disciples of Jesus who I think walked this journey with him. Look at uh, Luke 9, verse 51. Here's where we'll be anchored today. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. This is the Palm Sunday entry. So we'll come to this in a few months. This is the entry of his last seven days on earth, the beginning of Passion Week, and he sent messengers on ahead. That's what they would do when they were preparing an important entry by a significant, like, kingly figure. They would send a messenger on ahead to prepare the way, who went into a, underline in your Bible, Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? (laughs) Not quite what Jesus was like, you know, hoping for in a response from his followers. You know, just call fire down and burn it to the ground. Verse 55, Jesus turned and rebuked them. So put a little note in your Bible here beside this passage. Put Mark 3, 16 and 17. Write that in the margin of your Bible beside Luke 9. Here's what Mark 3, 16 and 17. What Jesus wasn't, he wasn't too surprised by the response he got from James and John because when he called the sons of Zebedee to him, here's what it says in Mark 3. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges. Boanerges means sons of thunder. (laughs) That tells you a little bit like their disposition, right? They were the ones that when someone crossed their preferences, just burn it to the ground. (laughs) They're sons of thunder. You know, they're just triggered. They're just quick to just go off on it. And so James and John, now preparing for Jesus' last seven days, go into a Samaritan village trying to get some kind of welcoming, roll out the red carpet for Jesus, please. And their response was the Samaritans just didn't want to welcome. The backstory here is 400 years of animosity and prejudice that the Samaritans felt from the Jews. So the backstory is the Jews viewed the Samaritans as second class, as lower-tiered citizens, simply based on their race, simply based on the fact that they had intermarried and intermingled with the foreign nations around. So the Jews saw their bloodline as contaminated. It got to the point where the Jews wouldn't let a Samaritan shadow touch them because they thought it would defile them. Can you see the animosity? Can you feel the prejudice that might have been building? And so when the Samaritan hears that the king of the Jews, Jesus, is needing a welcoming party, they're like, tap out. 
They're like, peace out. Not, we're not feeling that. We're not going to roll out the red carpet for this Jew uh, named Jesus. <laughs> and James and John, they just immediately, they're triggered. And they're like, Lord, you want to just burn it to the ground. Call fire from heaven. Let's go. And so this is the picture, right? This is kind of, I want us to just take a few minutes and just kind of paint a profile of the sons of thunder response that I think is pretty deeply ingrained in our fallen sinful nature. I think sons of thunder isn't just a Bible thing. I think it's a human thing. I think it's a fallen human nature thing that is pretty easy for us to go burn it to the ground versus maybe responding a little bit more the way Jesus is liking would, what would like us to look at it. And I thought about how easy it is for us as humans in relationships, especially when those who are going against the grains of what you want or what you like or what you prefer or what your view is or what your opinion. I mean, when someone runs against the grain of how you feel about things, wow, you, I mean, it's quick sons of thunder. I think about all the times that we push send on a text message only to reread the text message and get this cringe moment. You just go, I think that was a little sons of thunder. Or I think about how when you scroll through the comment section in the social media feed, if you want to know where Sons of Thunder seems to be hanging out in our culture today, it seems to be in the social media feed in the comment section these days. Seems a lot of Sons of Thunder going on, where there's just burn it to the ground when there's someone who's posting perhaps something that's just a little different view of the situation. Or I think about um, those times when we say something, and as the words are coming out of our mouth, we're thinking, boy, I shouldn't really be saying this, sons of thunder moments. Are those times when the people who hurt you, who offended you, who disrespected you, who irritated you, who gossiped about you, who turned their back on you, when all that stuff builds up and you simply turn to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, burn it to the ground. That's sons of thunder. And I think if we're honest, there's a little bit of that in all of us. It needs to be worked through. And I think this is a core discipleship and formation issue for all of us in the body of Christ. So I wrote down three phrases that I think unpack the posture of sons of thunder in relationships. The first one is quick to judge. Sons of thunder are quick to just judge, jump to judgment on things. We're, we're quick to accentuate the fault, like elevate the fault of others, but kind of diminish the fault of, in ourselves. Like we see others as inflated, like all kinds of issues and sin, but when it comes to looking in the mirror and looking at our own issues, uh, kind of diminish that a little bit. And here Jesus had something to say about this. Flip in your Bibles, Matthew 7. Let's look at a little metaphor he gave us for this. Matthew 7, 3 to 5, he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? <laughs> How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. The word hypocrite there means like stage actors. It means you're pretending to be something you're not. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly and remove the speck from your brother's eye. And can you think, I mean, we're just so quick. We're just so skilled at judging people. We, we judge people based on how they look and where they live and who they associate with. I mean, we're always judging. We judge people based on culture and religious beliefs. We're quick to judge people on marital status or marital conflicts or marital difficulties. Quick to judge people on divorce or single parenting. We're quick to judge people on political party or policy 
proxy affiliation or where you land in the red, blue, purple, and that whole discussion. We're quick to judge and all that. We're quick to judge people on social media posts and what's liked or shared and people just judging and jumping to conclusions on all this stuff. We're just, we just go sons of thunder. Just sons of thunder on it. It reminded me when I, I hadn't been in pastoral ministry maybe two, three years, and I had, it was after a Sunday morning service out here in the atrium, and there was a huddle of like student parents. So parents of teenagers, they huddled up and they were waiting to talk to me. And I didn't know what it was about. And they're like, Pastor Eric, we just want you to know we, and there's probably four or five of them. And they were like, we've just got a concern we'd like to, to bring to you. And I said, okay. They said, it's our understanding that before youth group meetings, back then youth group was happening on Sunday night, like before the youth group gets together, that there's some, there's some joining the crowd of the youth group and they're smoking in the parking lot before they come into youth group. And I, listen, I wanted to understand some more. I say, help me understand. Like, what do you, what do you, I was making sure I got the full context. You mean, there's students who are showing up at our youth group on Sunday night, but before they come into the youth meeting, they're smoking in the parking lot. Is that the core of the concern? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just really upset about that. Wondering if you can do something about that. And my response, I recall, was something like this. I said, isn't that great? I said, isn't that amazing? Like, I'm so glad that they would feel like they're comfortable to come here. It's in my understanding, like, that's the kind of people that Jesus would be hanging out. I think Jesus is hanging with the smoking crowd in the parking lot. Don't you think? Dead silent on the other end. I don't think we made much progress that day. So thank you if you're any of those parents that stuck around here through all of that. But. And maybe some of you. Maybe it's not that, that you were on the receiving. But, but if you've been around church circles for any length of time, if you've been around the Jesus people, church culture, religious institution, if you had any contact, there's a good chance you might have bumped into Sons of Thunder. There's a good chance you might have been on the receiving end of a condescending look of something done in Jesus' name that didn't have anything to do with Jesus. That's part of what happens in our fallenness. That's part of what happens in our humanity in the midst of diversity, in the midst of what God has obviously thought. There's going to be so many different parts who have obvious places to play, but sometimes we struggle with the unity in the midst of diversity, and we bump up against it, and we go, sons of thunder. And if that's happened to you, I just want to say, I'm sorry. Whether that's happened here to you, if you've been on the receiving end of some kind of sons of thunder, I'm sorry. I want to apologize for any of the hurt you may have received in that. And how much it affects us when that occurs, especially in Jesus' church. But I also want to say that it's a part of the discipleship journey that we're all in, that there's some common ground we all have together here, is that we're all humans, and we all fall a little bit short, and we need His grace. And so let me just be real clear on this point in the midst of sons of thunder quick to judge, that in this church, here in our local community, it doesn't matter what background you're from, what social economic class, it doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in, what car you drive, what education level you have, it doesn't matter what your political affiliation, it doesn't matter how you voted, it doesn't matter where you land on those policy issues, it doesn't matter your religious belief or background or practice, it doesn't matter what you've strayed into and how long you've strayed into it, it doesn't matter what your past has said about you, I want you to know with crystal clarity, you are welcome here. That Jesus' church 
my understanding from here is his heart is for everybody. Fallen sinner like me, as well as you and anyone else. Everyone is welcome here because nobody is perfect here. We're all in desperate need of grace here. And if we'll band together under his headship in this, we'll find out anything's possible here. So even if you encounter a Sons of Thunder, I think there's a way to receive and to navigate that that can be very formative and disciple-making in it. If we won't just, what my concern is, sometimes we, we take a hurt or offense happened in the body of Christ, and we run away from Jesus based upon abuses done in his name. That's, I don't think, a wise response. There's a bunch of abuses done in Jesus' name. I agree with you. As a pastor, I've said so many times in my office to people who are so upset about something going on in the religious life, I just say, I agree. I think Jesus agrees. But using that as a basis to run from Jesus is what I want to caution. So there's this quick to judge where we kind of elevate the fault in others and don't quite see it in and of ourselves that way. We go sons of thunder on, just burn it to the ground. And then secondly, I put in your notes, I think there's this easily offended. There's Viewing a difference of opinion as a threat to overcome instead of embracing the gift of otherness. I think if I had to subtitle 2020 this way, I might subtitle it the year of the offended self. Cancel culture. Or if you just voice anything that's aberrant in any way from whatever person or persons you interact, if it's just out over here a little bit, you're just... The people are offended, people are getting fired, things are getting canceled. It's like this journey of the offended self. The number of times I've been in conversations where I'm trying to mediate dialogues where someone says to the other party, I just don't understand, and they're all worked up. I just don't understand how you, boom, boom, boom. I just don't understand how they, boom, boom, boom. Hear this now. I just don't understand. I think Jesus would say, that's the point. How about we just get about understanding? <laughs> we're saying, I just don't understand. What if we were with humility and grace, spent some time and energy, get about understanding? Like, help me understand why you feel as strongly you do about this. Help me understand how you landed in this spot. Help me understand. You follow me? Instead of just internalizing, a, I just don't understand that, and we take this differing view, God-honoring, Jesus-loving people landing in different camps, and you take the difference as a threat to be eliminated instead of what I think Jesus is calling us to here, is there's an interconnected, interdependent diversity. There's unity in the midst of diversity. Not everyone is going to see things the way you see them. And I think that this is an important part of our discipleship. And I think Peter, or I think James and John are really struggling with this. They couldn't view the Samaritans any way but the group of people whom the Jews despised for hundreds and hundreds of years. Therefore, burn it to the ground. Sons of thunder. So they were quick to judge. They were easily offended. And then thirdly, I wrote closed-minded. Closed-mindedness comes from just not open to changing. Sons of thunder, it's my way or my way. Sons of thunder. There's only one way to see it, my way. And how ironic is it? Write John chapter 4 in your notes there in your Bible somewhere. Look it up later. John chapter 4, Jesus spends two days in a Samaritan village after he hangs out at a well with a Samaritan woman. 
And she becomes a follower of Jesus, and then she invites him to go back to a Samaritan village, and it says he hung out there for two days. And there was big partying and celebrating with Jesus at the center of it. Good thing the sons of thunder didn't get their way. Samaritan village would burn to the ground. So they couldn't envision it being different. They couldn't envision it changed. They were just too close-minded around it. So there's this journey in the Christian life to recognize part of our humanity is that we're triggered on the inside when, come, when someone goes against the grain of our views and preferences on matters. This could be in a marriage, with a spouse situation, parent-child, working relationships, certainly in the broader conversation and community politically that we're having. It can happen in all kinds of spheres. And to recognize there's something inside of us that's quickly triggered to go sons of thunder, to be close-minded, to be easily offended, and to be quick to judge. And what I want you to see today is the journey from Sons of Thunder to where John the Apostle landed himself. They said of John, when he exited the story, he was an apostle of love. So I want us to think about how did he go from Son of Thunder to Apostle of Love? Because here's John, whom outlived all the other 11 disciples. He was the oldest. He eventually wrote five of the 27 New Testament books. This John. Boanerges, this, that John, son of Zebedee, that John. The one who said, hey, Lord, should we just burn it to the ground? That John, sons of thunder. He went from that, wrote five of the 27 New Testament books, first, second, and third John, book of Revelation, gospel of John. He wrote all of those. And so several decades later, here's what came out of John's pen. I put these in your notes. John wrote, first John three, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is what? Love. 1 John 3.20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. I wonder if he was thinking about that time with the Samaritan village when he was preparing the way for Jesus. I think it's probably had that in his mind. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So let's spend a few minutes unpacking. We unpack Sons of Thunder. Now let's unpack like what does it look like in John's world to be an apostle of love? Because I think that's a journey of formation from thunder to love. And the first thing I wrote down here is I think we're John's humbled that we get humbled by our limits that you get comfortable embracing that you are a limited being, that we don't have the full picture. I want you to think about our limits that we all have. Like your family of origin, it's a limit. The environment you grew up, the experiences you had, where you were raised, how you were raised, it may have been great, but it's still a limit that every one of us shares. Our physical bodies are a limit that if any year we've needed to be reminded, like physically there are limitations to what we can do in a day, in an effort, no matter how hard you work at. You're limited physically in getting things done. How about our minds? We have limited capacity in our minds. I know some of you are incredibly brilliant, but even the most brilliant among us are finite in their understanding. Do you know that you don't know everything? That might be important to be reminded, like, even if you're super brilliant, even if you've got all kinds of letters by your name, you've got all kinds of people coming for counsel and guidance, at the end of the day to understand you and I and everyone, we are limited in our ability mentally to see and understand the whole picture. 
were not given the infinite view of God. That's reserved for Him alone. That's a limit. I think we have to become comfortable with that limit. I think the more we lean into our limits, the more I think the grip of quick to judge loosens up and easily offended loosens up. And I think there's a more of an open-mindedness instead of a closed-mindedness. When you just kind of settle in that we're limited as a human, we're finite. We don't know all, we don't see all, we don't understand all, and we approach conversations with the humility that we can learn and grow from whatever situation we're in. And I think that's an expectation that John had later in his life that he didn't quite have when he was headed to the Samaritan village trying to prepare the way. When he said, just burn it to the ground. I think he's moved away from that posture of sons of thunder and he's embracing, humbled by his limits because he recognized God sees the picture holistically. We see it finitely. And then there's this, I wrote down a curiosity. I think there's a, there's a curious about why others view things differently. I think an apostle of love, instead of praying, Lord, would you just send some fire from heaven and deal with that situation? I think an apostle of love begins to pray, Lord, would you help me like, why is it that those Samaritans feel so strongly against us? Why are they so angry with us as Jews? Why are they so upset when we want to bring a Jew into town? An apostle of love would say, hey, help me understand, clearly there's some history here because the whole village is in an uproar. And I wonder if we could approach the conversations that need to be had, and especially, especially intentions between people, groupings in our world through this posture of less sons of thunder, more apostles of love. Or perhaps a prayer might be this for an apostle of love. Lord, why is this heart of like despising? Why do I feel like despising this person or persons? Where's that coming from? What's the root of that coming up in my heart? Because what's rising inside of me is an anger and a despising that I don't think is reflective of you, but be curious about that and invite the Lord into that. Say, hey, where's that coming from? I think that's an apostle of love type prayer versus just send fire from heaven, Lord, and burn it to the ground. Let's get moving. And so humbled by our limits, curious about why others see differently. And then thirdly, and we'll draw it to a close with this principle, there's this seeing God in the face of our enemies. You see this picture, seeing God in the face of our enemies. You know, uh, yesterday, I was on my way to the funeral uh, for Brad's mother, and my phone rang, and it was the mayor of Whitestown, um, Jason Lawson. Jason does a great job. Thank you, Jason, and all your staff. They work so hard. His title is town manager, but it's like a mayor for the town of Whitestown. And, and he called, because periodically, we just touch base with each other, because as a church, we want to serve the town and community well. Just have an open dialogue. How are things going with the town? What can we do as a church to be helpful? That kind of thing. Well, he was reaching out, because he knew that we'd be gathering this morning, and he said this, and it had a real soberness to his voice. I knew something was up. He said, Eric, I'm calling because uh, we need help. We, meaning the town, the community, the county, we need help. And I'm calling you as a local pastor and asking for your help. I said, how can we help? He said, domestic violence right now is up 55% in Boone County. It's off the rails, it's out of control, and we need help. And I asked a few more questions about it, and he said that the, the line's just been rising and rising and rising the farther we've been in. Shutdown, restriction, isolation, the challenges of all that 2020 have been. And so 
Jason was just reiterating, and uh, I thought it tied in well to what we're discussing here, that what happens is, um, you know, sometimes the enemies that we see are like under our same, we're like locked in with whom we view what the Bible would call enemies, those who are like are frustrating us the most, those who are running against the grain of us the most, the ones we're most upset about, most irritated with, most difficult to be around, sometimes can be under your own roof. And so let me say this. If you're in a place right now where you're on the receiving end of that kind of domestic violence, I want you to know there's help for you, and you can just reach out and get help. You can reach out to me personally that way. If it's a confidential matter, you just reach out, and you can reach out to anyone in the community. Jason wanted you to know there's tons of resources available in our community right now, many of them free to help people who are caught in a cycle of domestic violence. So if you're on the receiving end of the, view, of the abuse, we want you to know there's help for you. If you're in the position where you know you're either actively in the abuser role or you're feeling it rise within you that way, there's help for you. Reach out. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're caught up in that cycle, I want you to begin to think about this principle that Jesus talks about, that there's a way to see God in the face of our enemies. There's a way to see God in the face of those whom are most difficult in our lives right now, who have hurt us most deeply, who have offended us most completely. Check this out. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, that's a classic Jesus. He's quoting like cultural narrative is this. This is what it is. Like culturally right now, North America, 2020, you have heard that it was said, go sons of thunder on anyone who doesn't agree with you. Just post it, send it, share it, sons of thunder. And he says, but I tell you, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. The word pagans there is godless. Those who have no connection to God, they're doing that. What good is that? So you see, Jesus, lift. this is why the early church fathers said, one way to assess your spiritual health, the early church fathers would say this, the degree to which you love your enemies gives you a window in the degree to which you love God. That's how they would say it. Put it in a more, more modern day. How are you doing with loving those around you who irritate you, who run against your preferences, who just have differing views and opinions, who get under your skin, how you respond in your heart towards them, I think Jesus would say is a good window into where your love for God is. So in a sense this morning, I'm positioning a bit of a, a spiritual formation journey for us. And the journey is this, from thunder to love. Wouldn't that be something? How do you go from a son of thunder to an apostle of love? Well, the short answer is only Jesus. In Christ, through Christ, by the power of the Spirit in us and through us. That's the only way you go from thunder to love. You don't put a sticky note on the dashboard of your car. That's not going to help. Try really, really hard to like relinquish thunder. And that's not going to work. What you need is Christ in you, Christ for you, Christ through you, Christ changing you, Christ healing you, Christ empowering you, Christ living in and through you. And what you'll see is Jesus helps loosen the grip of sons of thunder and helps you embrace an apostle of love. 
where you begin to step in and experience the oneness of a vision he had, that there is a possibility with the human race, even in our fallenness, Jesus prayed this for us, that we would be one, a oneness that transcends equality, a oneness that magnifies his reconciling heart, a oneness that is connected with diversity and unity. There's a vision for that. But do you see, church, there's no possible way for us to step into God's vision for oneness if we don't work through the sons of thunder journey in our hearts. It's just not possible. And so I close today with a quote from Buchanan and then an invitation for us from the week ahead. Worship team, you can kind of come on up here as we wrap this up this morning. Mark Buchanan, one of my favorite writers, I think he summarized it well with this. This is the shape of discipleship. It may not be anger and coveting that mark us out when Jesus first finds us. It may be cowardice or laziness or aloofness or lewdness or any number of sundry ways our character misrepresents the kingdom. But hear this. But as we walk with Jesus, learning His ways, empowered by His Spirit, we are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. Sons of thunder and daughters of gossip and stepchildren of avarice or greed and adoptees of impurity and all the rest in Christ's hands become, in word and deed, new creations. Oh, there's hope, church. New creations. So can you imagine with me, what would our world be like if the body of Christ moved the needle from sons of thunder to apostles of love? What would it look like? What might our social media feeds look like this week? What might our interactions with each other look like this week? What might the conversations at the water cooler in the office, if you have those still or not, what might those text exchanges be like? What would it look like if we just moved the needle a bit in the body of Christ from sons of thunder to apostles of love? I think, hear this now, I think what we'd find, I think we'd find what Norma Jean is finding, that we're going to get to the end of our one and only life, and I think we'll find this that the only explanation for the life we're living and the relationships we're experiencing is that God is love. And then we get the incredible privilege of being an instrument of that love through his power and presence in us. To a world I think is becoming increasingly exhausted, weary, broken from sons of thunder. It's just so... It's just exhausting to live in a continual cycle of sons of thunder and how refreshing it is when you bump in to an apostle of love. And may that be so in all of our spheres this week. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that in James and John's journey, you saw in them not who they were, but who they would become. Thank you that the journey went from Luke 9 all the way to 1 John 3, the book of Revelation. Thank you that you never give up on us, that you keep coming for us, you keep pursuing us, and and all of us have our own journey with layers of brokenness and how deeply embedded maybe Sons of Thunder is into how we respond, and we need your help. We invite your spirit to change and, and expose and soften and heal, and God, we so want to manifest an apostle of love in this world today starting right where we're at, starting in our own home, in our own church, 
in our own workplace, in the relationships right in front of us. Thank you for your great love for us. Forgive us for all the times when we've just fallen short. Whether prayers directly or indirectly, we just said, Lord, just burn it to the ground. Thank you for all the prayers that go unanswered in those times that you just patiently wait and work and soften the soil. So grow us in our formation. More of Jesus and more of us as we walk this out, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.